You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Now, Lord, bless him. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, worship team. That was, uh, uh, that was really, really exciting. And no, the rumor's false. We're not changing the communion wine to Mountain Dew. <laughs> so, I love Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is sort of the Christmas Eve of Christianity. It, it sets us up for the whole week ahead where we really, really devote ourselves. And so Palm Sunday, as we know, we're in Luke. Remember, guess where Jesus is now? He made it to Jerusalem. And he comes in, in the, entr- in the entrance into the city. And this is around the Passover time, so the city is swelling with people. It's estimated that about a half a million people would, would be in Jerusalem go from 50,000 to half a million people for the week of Passover. So this is huge. So when Jesus is coming in on the donkey and they're cheering, and it's a roar. It's a roar that's going out. And it's, you know, they heard these rumors of a Messiah. Some have heard about Jesus' signs and wonders. And here he comes on a donkey as the prophetic word said. So. But you see, Jesus was, this whole mission was a mission of confrontation. He, he was on this path to challenge the powers, the systems of the earth, and demonstrate and declare the kingdom. And he's bold, and he's fearless, and he's powerful while riding humbly into the city and he's intent on bringing that confrontation to a head. It, we, you think of the, the meekness. We see movies where Jesus is so meek. Tab Hunter, whoever plays him in the movie. And, but Jesus is intense. He, his, his authority carries a pounding sound when he speaks. Everywhere he went, the Pharisees said they feared him because of their personal loss of power. So the, the power structure, they were fearing one man. And he carried himself like this. We've been, what we're watching as we go through those, all those chapters in Luke, we're watching the spiritual warfare over a new kingdom versus the powers of earth. And we're watching this play out. And on this Palm Sunday is no different than any other because if you, if you notice, he goes right from there to the temple and starts flipping tables. He starts almost causing a riot almost right away. And he says, this is a house of prayer. Well, where were all those tables? They were in the area of where the the Gentiles pray. The Jews had excluded the kingdom because it was a kingdom of all people. And he didn't like the money and the whole prophet thing and just this nonsense. He's saying, where is my temple? His house. 
What I want to do, though, is I want to move a little further into the week. We're going to move up to Thursday. Everything is now, the whole place is, he's a wanted man now. And I, I think it's pretty interesting, because now we're going to go to the Passover. And the Passover feast, uh, I want to review real quick what it commemorates. Because it begins with Moses at a burning bush. And there we see the Shahina glory of God. And it, it, it's what launches Moses on a mission to travel to Egypt. And that mission is going to be a spiritual battle. It's going to be a spiritual battlefield. I think it's kind of interesting because Jesus, you know how Moses is kind of a foreteller of Jesus. He starts his mission with a transformation, with a sh the, the, uh, the Shahina glory of God surrounding him. And that begins his, his too. And so we go for, then, he goes in the, there, and we see this spiritual warfare. All those plagues were a direct confrontation to a false god in Egypt. If you recall, he starts with a snake, and of course that was one of their false gods. Remember they wore it in their headband? Then you go to the Nile. There was a god of the Nile. And then each, yes, yes they had gods of gnats and flies, frogs, all of those. Then it moves up. And so this is God's confrontation to their gods through Moses. And so then it gets to the darkness. And that was the sun god Ra, who was a very powerful god there. And they could do nothing. And it's odd because it wasn't just the sun that killed darkness. There was no darkness in any home. So apparently the lamps could not even give out light. The darkness overtook everything. Then Passover comes. And that's the, the feast of Amon, which is the most powerful of the Egyptian gods. He's said to be the god of gods. He's supposed to be the, the creator of all things. And that is celebrated on the exact day that God uses for Passover. A full moon is said to have increased the powers of Amon, and they celebrate him. Amon's symbol is a male sheep or a ram. And so the Passover meal was a male lamb, which symbolizes Jesus, but it also was a direct affront how Jesus is going to be the symbol that destroys all the most powerful of evil. And that he could do nothing to stop the, the, the death of the firstborn son. And so they celebrate Passover because that was the release from Egypt. But you realize that was a beginning. When they crossed the Red Sea, it just began. As amazing as all that was, we saw all these miracles. We saw all this happening. And then the Red Sea parts, and they walk on dry land. I love how all the... The, the, the geologists and everybody go, well, if there was an earthquake, it could have caused a tsunami, which caused this to spread. It still would have been muddy. It went through dry land to the other side and it swallowed up the armies. But from that point, it changed. Because from that point, the amazing part of this all, God seeks a relationship with his people. When he, when he leads them through there, by the way, I missed a, a slide, didn't I? 
Oh, well, that's all right. When he leads him through there, he's, he, he wants to be in the presence of his people. They set up camp, and he sets his camp in the middle and establishes that I am your God and you are my people. That's stunning, incredible. He didn't just release them and say, now be good. He released them to take them to the promised land and to build them and to guide them. And they fell, and he picked them up again. They fell, and he picked them up again. I, I look at the, the Last Supper, and I see, the pa- I see the same thing as the Passover there. Let's go ahead and look at the Last Supper. It's in Luke. Okay. This is the NIV version. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb was to be, had to be sacrificed. Jesus said to Peter and John, sent, go and make preparation for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Now, right, that right there for me is, we've got a half million people in this city. When you show up, there'll be a man there waiting for you. What's his name? I don't know. Got a jar of water. I mean, that's supernatural right there. Now, part of that is no man would carry a jar of water. That was considered woman's work. But in a city of 500, you know, let's just say it wasn't all as crowded yet. There's only a couple of hundred thousand people. Like four Colt stadiums of people. I mean, and here's a guy. And they just follow him. Okay, to the house that he enters. And say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all finished, make preparations there. So this guy with the water jug shows up, goes up to the owner of the house and goes, teacher wants it. Oh, up there. I don't know how Jesus prepared this and we don't know. I just, I just to me that is pretty cool. That, you know, that, see, there's so much that you can in this thing. All right. They left. They found things just as Jesus told them, and they prepared it. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He's now beginning to predict again his death. He's predicting there's going to be a big change coming. Gosh, so after taking the cup, he gives thanks and says, take this and divide it among you, for I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, there are going to be four different places where they drink wine at the Passover meal. The fourth one is celebrating the, the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom of God, the second coming of Jesus. And he says, I'm not going to eat it, drink that one until it happens. Because the kingdom has come. But we're going to do this. He took the bread, he gave it, and said, this is my body for, for, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do you remember the, 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 the uh, Isaiah? We, see it, we, always sing that, we always read that at Christmas. He said, a son is given. Now the son gives his body. That's what the prophecy meant. It didn't say a son was just born. It said a son is given. 
And so this is, a, this is a very important, that's a di very different phrase. In the same way, after the supper, so now after the bread, they've eaten their supper, now comes the third cup. This is a cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And it mentions, but the hand of whose man is going to betray me is uh, with mine on the table. Son of, God, son of man will go as been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. I mean, this whole Passover meal, there's so much you can just break out and find. And you read the other ones, and there's so much more in those. And then you hear, and in John, it's different. I, there's so much of the Passover. I want to focus, though, on the new covenant. I want to focus on the cup of the blood. Because this third cup is the cup of, of when they celebrate them leaving Egypt. Redemption. Even there's one other place where it says, this is the cup of the new everlasting covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And so, so many people believe that the new covenant is the forgiveness of sin, sins through Jesus' blood, which it is. But the forgiveness of sins is such a narrow part of the new covenant. It's like Moses going through the Red Sea and you're saying, we're done. Because the new covenant is everlasting. This is the last one. Now, the way it works is if you had a covenant, most covenants would have a time frame, if you will. And this changes the old covenant of Moses and says, we have a new one, and this is timeless. And so, this forgiveness has become a covenantal pro uh, uh, promise. You know, when he does that, now we have forgiveness. With forgiveness, that we are no longer in the wrath of God, but we're in the peace with God. Romans uh, 5, 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Then you drop down to verse 6. I don't think it's up there, but it says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Jesus died for the ungodly. We have peace with God. Moses didn't have peace with God to the level that we have now been open to. This new covenant makes the, the parting of the Red Sea and all ten of those plagues child's play. Because this is fundamentally different. Humanity is being changed now. The creation of God that has been spoiled is being changed. We're now eternal beings. We've been set in an eternal relationship built and rooted in love with God. We have now a new identity of Christ in Christ. We're now indwelt by God to move in with God into unity. You know, first in Second Peter, Peter gives a little small section where he kind of defines what that means to him. And it's staggering. I use the, the, since we're not really going line-by-line line study, I'm, I'm going to use Rick's favorite uh, translation, the, the Passion Translation. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all of this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him 
through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. You know, the goodness of God. You know, that's been on me for now a couple, several weeks. The goodness of God and what that means. You know, Rick had a while there. He was, righteousness of God was on him. And sometimes God just gives you a certain part of his personality. He just wants you to explore the goodness of God. We, we are infilled with the goodness of God. That is so incredible. As a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises, called the New Covenant, that are, all ab that are above all price. And this is where my heart is. How many of us put real value in our New Covenant? How many of us look at it and go, I am all struck by what Jesus has just done and is continuing to do? I'm thrown back by this. I can't hardly believe it. If, if on your day of conversion you got a brand new Mercedes-Benz, which would be more exciting to you? I'm afraid that when I was converted, I'd have a hard time getting away from my Mercedes-Benz. Instead of relishing in the, the wonder of what just happened in Christ. And I think that when he, you have Paul or Peter here talking about this, and he's saying, above, beyond all price, there's nothing more valuable. So that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. Two parts there. You've now overcome the power of sin. You've escaped those desires. And you've come into partnership of the, design, of the divine nature. I believe it's NASB says that you participate in the divine nature. We are not spectators anymore. You know, all those disciples following Jesus around were spectators. What's Jesus going to do next? Now we're part of the, remember the 70 that is sent out. They, he said, you can play too. And we become a partnership. This is so hard for us to capture that God wants to partner with us. The more you come to know God and the magnificence of God, sometimes we, it overwhelms us so we, don't, we forget about the friendship and love of God as a, uh, to us individually. And he wants a partnership with you and me. And he wants us to participate in divine nature. That means he wants you to do supernatural things through him. That's part of your new covenant promise. This is what part of that cup of wine represented. That you're going to have, you're going to be supernatural in Christ, through Christ, and Christ through you. That that's how Paul or Peter, I'm sorry, that's how Peter sees the cup, the the, the covenant. That we have all of the goodness of God in us. It's the goodness of God that's the source of the power of God. It's the goodness of God that is the source of the glory of God. It's the goodness of God that defines God, and we now have that in us. And he's saying, I want you to participate with me. Come along. We're going to do a road trip together. And that's what he's saying here. There's so much here. The cup of the new, the, this new covenant 
is so powerful and so supreme that as you sit here in the Holy Week and you, st and you really start to ponder it, we are the luckiest people on earth. Because there's nothing we could have done to earn it, buy it, acquire it. Only through the love of Christ and grace. So, everything has been deposited in us. And I just find this, that we have, we, the new Adam that is Christ as human is now available to us. And Christ as God will dwell in us. And that's so, that's so it's almost impossible to fathom. We can only take pieces of it, I think, sometimes to really get a, a picture of it. That sin is broken and we dance in holiness with God with no shame. That we are welcome in his presence and he seeks us in his presence and we're family that approaches God with an expression of love, bold without hesitation. And in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, and now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and without hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, God, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. Since we now have a magnificent high priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and approach him with a new with an open heart, fully convinced that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove, remove impurity. We have been freed from an accusing conscience. Now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. So wrap your heart tightly around the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. You're made holy. You're sprinkled with the blood and made holy. I still can't get over that one. You probably heard me up here half a dozen times say that, this phrase. You're holy. My wife's looking at him saying, no. Nah. Yeah, she is. But she's holy. You're holy. Marcus, you're holy. All right. Dying old mate. Yeah. <laughs> All right, come on, Marcus. Get it. One, two, three, boom. <laughs> I, when you look at this, it's saying that you, in spirit, leap to heaven and be in the unity of God in the throne room. You know, you say, well, that's kind of crazy. You're, now you're getting to la-la land, Chuck. You just, went, you just went out a little bit far. Every apostle seems to have had an experience of that. So many people I've come into contact have had experience of that. And I've had an experience of that. He invites you. And I can tell you it took a long time because I never thought I was worthy. I never thought I was holy. And I, never, I only focused on the identity that the world had put on me, not the identity that Jesus put on me. And he put a new identity on me. And he said, don't hang out in the, the outer court. Step on in. And so I was... You know, you know, I remember Jesus said, well, if you knock, you know, he'll open the door. The knock is for those who are not yet in the family. 
Those that are in the family, he welcomes in. You don't ring the doorbell at mom's house. You open the door and go, anybody here? And that's what, he's, that's what he says to do. You don't, you don't go up to the heavens and go, do I have a reservation today at, at 11.15? You say, is dad home? That's what he's saying that we have. The new covenant. That's our new covenant. It's not a relationship like anything you've ever heard of. And unfortunately, it's not like a relationship you hear of in most churches. Because most churches almost go through a ritual to keep distance. I was raised in a church that they said, unless you were a certain person, you couldn't step up to the altar. And if you're a woman, you couldn't pass the communion rail. So the nuns would hand 10-year-old boys the Eucharist that was going to be used for communion to the boys on the other side of the rail, and we'd bring them up to the pastor, because he's the only one that could open up the little, what do they used to call that? I can't remember. It had the little thing, it's like a little vault up there. I felt there was always had to be a distance between God and me. That I had to, had to earn my way to get enough points to be able to talk to God almost. He said, the new covenant is, you just don't have access to me in prayer. You have access to me in presence. And that's where the power always is. That's where that connection is. The presence of God is where your power is. And then we then be become more and more Christ-like. And when, when we become more Christ-like, the, the power that's in us then compels us to do something very different. We now demonstrate and proclaim the kingdom as Jesus did all the way from Nazareth down to Jerusalem. And we confront and we challenge the, the, the powers of this world in the name of Jesus Christ. And we carry his name in us wherever we go. So something about us makes us participants. I can never, ever give him salvation, but I can partner with Jesus to be a conduit so his heart softens and then he receives the grace that God gives him. So, so I can never say, I brought him to Jesus, but I can say, I was there when it happened. And I can say that over and over if I keep making it happen for other people. And, and there's nothing better than, so when we start talking about saying, we witness for Christ, that's proclaiming the kingdom. And we're saying who Jesus is. And we're saying that Jesus lived, that the Son of God became human. And he came on earth. And he came as a baby totally dependent on his, his earthly mother. And lived a life of righteousness so that he could then pass that righteousness to us and dies on the cross. Defeating evil, defeating death, he rose from the dead by the hand of the Father and has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father himself. I cannot think of anything that is more compelling and then he says, partner me with me in this. And says, you're my children. Jesus says, you're my brothers and sisters. I'm the first. This is family. And we've all become family. And it's just so remarkable that that, that cup triggered that. 
that what is amazing as forgiveness of sin is, and it really we just don't comprehend enough how that is. We have been in re rebellion with the very creator. And he's now creating, a, 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 through Jesus, forgiveness. Just like, who would have believed 10 plagues and then the Red Sea parting? That's small potatoes to the forgiveness. It takes so much more love. And then he said, that's the beginning. Your promised land is in you, dwells in you, and will be part of you eternally. And he's leading us. And he's not going to feed us manna necessarily. He's going to feed us his word. Take and eat of my body. His, the word became flesh. And he gives that to us. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, you know, I, this week is kind of an important week. It's, it's a kind of a celebration for me. I think I've mentioned it before. It was an, uh, a Reverend Pastor, Reverend Park, a good friend of my wife and I, convinced me to read, read all the gospel accounts on Holy Week. So on Palm Sunday, he said, go, go read them. And he said, treat them as truth. And a real person, son of God, really went through all of this. I, read, I would read all four of them. And by that Friday, I was calling him. And I was baptized in a Korean church. So someone who was evangelized in Korea that came back to America then baptized me. A missionary in America, if you will. We have this Western arrogance that thinks that we're the only missionaries. <laughs> you know, we move in this process of sanctification that, and our minds are being renewed every day. Every day our minds are renewed. So this is not a complete, you're not, it's not a one-time boom, you're done. You didn't get a stamp to get into the movies and hold on to your stub. This is, this is something that's a process for us. And just as Jesus was obedient to the Father, we'll become obedient. Not because we got the white knuckles hanging on, because the power of the Holy Spirit will make us, will create it so that we, we can become obedient. And because it's based on love, our obedience is not based on fear. It's not an or else, it's what else is there. So it's a totally different perspective. It's based on love. We have a love relationship now that is so aligned into the will of God and that's born out of a relationship of love and, and trust and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our obedience is one of the gifts we receive in our salvation. If we'll listen to it and ask for it. So we do this in remembrance of Him. We're stepping into the fullness of this great covenant just as Joshua stepped into the promised land. Joshua stepped into the promised land with the Ark of the Covenant before him. We have the, the God of the new covenant in us as we step into his promised land. And we, we, we've, we have every spiritual blessing or as Peter said, we've been lavished and it's been deposited in us everything we need for, for life. 
And we walk with hearts that are made of flesh and indwelt. I just, I, I, I just ask that you take some time this week in particular and try to carve out some amount of time every day and just read the passion portions of the four Gospels. Maybe one, one day, if there's some of them are longer, so you may take two days. I don't care. Spend, spend, spend uh, 24 hours in just John. And really, really ponder the words. Ask Jesus, what do you want me to hear from you today? And don't just look for information then. Don't read them for information. It's not a, a manual how to fix your refrigerator. This is, this is a heart of God moving through his word. And so, really ponder this. Some of, I, and I don't want to put a guilt on anybody, but some of us may have made a connection to Jesus that was an, a mental connection. And our hearts aren't fully connected. If that's you, I'm really going to ask you, come into the covenant of God and let your heart be open and let your heart be filled. And come and ask for prayer from Rick or me or any... any you know what? Everyone here is qualified. And if you've never, ever, ever seen the real heart of Jesus at all and you've always been a little bit at a distance from him and you thought, you know, I know about him, I don't really know him, and you'd like to know him, that's a place for a prayer also. I think that th there's no better place than this time to say, you know what? I'm missing out on way, way, way too much. Because what compels me is the love of God. I can't imagine I can actually feel what that crazy guy in a purple shirt's feeling right now. But you can I'm going to close, close this with a, uh, a prayer that's also in Hebrews. And then, then pray. And so as the worship team is coming together, if, if you're really feeling a, a, a strong, strong move of the Spirit on you, and you want to move up into the, this area here as they do the final song, I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to just have a renewal of the Holy Spirit in you, like a booster shot. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let him really, really, really gently lay upon you and come to you. This last one is from chapter 13. I just think it's such a rich, rich thing. Now may the God who brought us peace by raising from the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that he would be the shepherd of his flock, and by the power of the blood of the eternal covenant, may he work perfection into every part of you, giving you all that you need to fulfill your destiny. And may he express through you all that is excellent and pleasing to him through your life union with Jesus, the anointed one, who is to receive all glory forever. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, I am all struck in wonder by you. Yes. I just... Sometimes I wonder, I, I feel in moments of weakness, and I say, did you really do that for me? And you keep saying yes. You did it for my wife. You do it for family members. You do it for children and grandchildren. You bring them all into the unity with you. 
We ask you, Lord, bring the Holy Spirit into us powerfully. Allow us not to hesitate, but step forward. Allow us not to hesitate and wait for a better moment. Let us understand that any moment that you are present is the moment that the time is ripe. We thank you, Jesus, that as you continue to come in union with us, you reveal yourself, and then in doing so, you reveal ourselves in our union with you. Then you reveal the beauty of the, 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 of the family of the body of Christ so that all, all of us with our own quirks and idiosyncrasies become a joy with one another. We thank you, Jesus, for this. Yes. What you've brought to us is a unity that can only be expressed by your love that you've now put in us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.